Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Fandex, the podcast where you write the rules. My name is Paul. My name is Matt. And today we have each come up with our changes to fix Aspect Warriors. We're, Matt and I are in agreement along with a good portion of the craft worlds and hobby community that the Aspect Warriors haven't seemingly kept up with the Power Creek from 7th to 9th edition. Um, in 7th edition, the notion of like damage to or D3 weapons being just being handed out to infantry is kind of foreign but these days that's like there's definitely i think been power creep in like the, the statistics and weapons from ninth edition to seventh edition granted they're very different editions in many ways but the problem is that the aspect warriors have not changed much to um reflect the new norms and they just don't feel elite enough anymore. And for a lot of them, they are overcosted as well. Uh, so Matt and I set out to each come up with our own fixes for that. And today we're going to share them and we're going to give each other feedback on what the points costs should be for each of those uh, aspects. So before we begin, though, let's launch into our True Truths and Lies segment. So Matt, what do you have for me today? All right. So since we were talking uh, Eldar, I um, I did a little bit of a dive into some Eldar fluff to find some cool little factoids. Uh, so the first one is actually about the webway. So the webway, uh, as far as we are aware, has no native wild. Second fact is in the Eldar language, there is no word for stuff. Yvrain apparently had said that stuff is one of the few words that humans have created that beat the Eldar language. Uh, third fact, hmm. Eldrad is apparently a hoarder. He has uh, multiple towers in uh, Craft, Craft World Uthway that he stores his trash in. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, that the word stuff is actually not a word that the Eldar came up with. It, that's actually truth. That is truth. Uh Oh, oh, wait, no, that's what I, um, I was thinking this is one lie and two truths. Oh, gotcha. No, I think Eldrad is not a hoarder. No, he's a hoarder. So the, the lie was actually um, the native wildlife in the webway. Uh, it was mentioned kind of uh, in, I think, the Path of the Dark Eldar trilogy. It's, it's weird. There's, they described them shortly in there kind of as a, as a little one-off mention, but it's, it's apparently a thing. Uh, uh, do you remember what they are called? Uh, no. It's been a couple years since I have read them. I'm sure I could find it with a little bit of Googling. All right, cool. So while you Google that, I will uh, hit you with my three facts. So uh, as many people know, a lot of the Eldari lore and characteristics are inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien's work with elves in The Lord of the Rings and other similar publications that take place in that universe. However, not only did J.R.R. Tolkien come up with the word Eldar, but Eldar and elves are actually two different races in J.R.R. Tolkien's mythos. Okay. That's fact number one. Fact number two, in the Eldar mythology, uh, Aisha and Cain are the parents of the Eldar race. Okay. So you have sort of like polar opposites there. For fact number three, at one point... Lilith, who is the sort of like the goddess of prophecy in the Eldari pantheon, uh, she prophesied that the Eldari would destroy Cain 
And Cain took this seriously, and so he began uh, destroying the Eldari race in sort of like self-preservation. And it was only by the intervention of the sort of head god of the Eldari pantheon, Osurion, who created a barrier between humans and god, or between elves and gods, or Eldari and gods, to prevent them from, to prevent Cain from slaughtering them all. Hmm, those are all very plausible. I think what I'm going to have to say is the lie is the Cain and Aisha. Yeah, uh, Cain and Aisha, two different, it was Aisha and Kurnos. Okay. Or the, the Lord of the Hunt that uh, gave rise to the Eldari. So my thought was that Aisha is is just very loyal to her current husband, uh, Papa Nurgle. I, I, I don't know <laughs> if uh, loyalty is the word I would use. I think more like uh, trapped is the word I would use. I mean, but what it's marriage. It's the same thing, right? Uh, I don't know. I feel like if your marriage feels like a prison, you need to work some stuff out with your partner. <laughs> hey, maybe people are into that. I don't know. I mean, if you're into that, then I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you about the rules I wrote for tiny plastic space elf warriors. Well, I mean, if we were talking about the other tiny plastic space elf warriors, being into that's kind of the, their shtick. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. All right, so uh, I'm, I'm reminded of that line from, my favorite line from Star Wars The Force Awakens. So who talks first? Do I talk first? Do you talk first? Uh, it depends on if you're watching the original or the remastered. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, which aspect did you want to start with? Because I, when I sat down to write this, I was inspired particularly by somebody's uh, criticisms that I thought thought were legitimate of Howling Banshees, and I just kind of randomly went through the aspects as I came up with ideas for them. So that's the first on my list, but I'm not trying to make a statement about Howling Banshees being the worst or the most important aspect warrior. I mean, I think we, we'll, we'll just kind of let it flow. We'll start with Banshees, but I do want to give a little bit of a forward to my... Um... Just a little bit of a, yes. a behind the scenes on, on my thoughts here. Yes, let's both take time to explain like where we're coming from and what our design, like mission and philosophy was. This is kind of a uh, a greater issue I have with a lot of the way that 40k is designed. For a lot of units, they are um, you know like Eldar have a stat line, their toughness three, strength three, etc., and then they have a, a special gun, and that's their that's what makes them different is their gun or their armor. There's never really that much different between the abilities of the unit. And uh, th that's something that in playing other games, I found that having um, not necessarily a different uh, stat line or different weapon is what kind of sets them apart, but different different unit abilities. If you've ever played a game like Malifaux or Infinity, a lot of it's just, they do different things. They're, they're specialized in different ways. And uh -huh. that's kind of a sub-theme throughout the whole... Um, Eldar Codex, um, most units are good at one thing, and they're really good at one thing, but that's about it. Right. Considering the Eldar lore, too, that's kind of their shtick, you know, with the whole path of whatever they're going down, they're hyper-focused on one thing. Which also, for me, uh, in uh, terms of lore, drew kind of a funny parallel, uh, because it's hypothesized that the uh, Eldar were created by the Old Ones to kind of fight the Necrons. Uh, whereas another race that was theoretically uh, created the same way uh, ended up being the orcs, who are also known to be very single-minded, uh, and that kind of made that kind of thought kind of made me chuckle. <laughs> um, 
Oh, that is interesting, though. Elmar would say they're totally different, though. I never thought of that, but that is so true. Right, oh, of course, and they are in many ways, but that is an interesting parallel. So you would think that over time, kind of, um, you know, your time as a fire dragon or a dire avenger would, would make you a little bit better at certain things that that shrine is known for versus just, you know, I'm an Eldar with a melted gun. Right. So my thoughts in this were to kind of tweak the unit abilities, not so much any numerical changes, like I didn't want to up their ballistic skill or their toughness or their movement, any of that kind of stuff, or lower their points. Those are very easy changes and tweaks. I, I really wanted to um, to have the unit feel like like they would in a, you know a story. And the way I, I went about that might not be the most balanced way. And there's a little bit of bookkeeping to it as well, in a way. But I think it, it definitely will make them play the way they come, come off. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's hear it. And uh, what is your take on Howling Banshees? And then before I go into my take on Howling Banshees, I'll explain where I was coming from, from a design process uh, perspective. Okay. So my, my general, and this is going to go for all of the aspects is um, in in Phoenix Rising, there was the um, the Exarch powers granted for, um, obviously, the Exarchs of each unit. Um, and there's typically, I think, six. And you would have the option to choose one uh, by and trade a special rule for it or spend a command point to get that ability and, and the special rule. Uh, now, what my thought was is, as long as the Exarch is alive allow that unit to kind of choose from that list at the beginning of a turn or a phase. Uh, I hadn't really kind of picked which one. I think phase is a little bit much because then you can really, they, they kind of have a little bit of everything uh, in terms of what their abilities are good for. Yeah, and you can always pick the defensive fit, uh, abilities during your opponent's shooting and fight phases. So I feel like exactly. then it would just be like, okay, just what phase am I in? You know, it, it would lose some of the element of choice where yeah. if you made it per turn, you'd have to just, you'd have to do a little more, like it would reward more strategic and forward thinking general. Exactly. That's kind of what I was leaning towards is every turn. So like, for example, and I don't want to kind of read through all of these for each of them, but the Howling Banshees, for example, they have um, basically a... Uh, a five up feel no pain as one of their choices. Um, they have the ability to like their XR can add three strength to uh, their weapon and make it damage three for a turn. You can uh, subtract two from attacks from another model. So they they have a whole set of different abilities that really add to the whole like they're really good at close combat. Right. Or a generic, you know, ever useful defensive ability. Is the five up feeling of pain for the whole unit or just for the Exarch? Uh, whole unit as long as the Exarch is alive. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I was about to say, if it were just for the Exarch, I feel like that wouldn't get a lot of utility out of it. No. All right. Well, awesome. So as we go along, we'll definitely take highlights from uh, what you feel are some of the highlight powers. Or honestly, we could just go over all of them. I could do that. I already know that this episode is going to be a two-parter. So why don't we just go over all of them? Okay. And we can break this episode into two or three parts. All right. So uh, for Howling Banshees, uh, let me start from the top. So Graceful Avoidance is a five-up feel no pain. Uh, Piercing Strike is, as I said, uh, three strength addition um, to their weapon, and it makes it damage three. And it reduces their attacks by one. And that's and that's just... Just for the Exarch. Uh, they have Disarming Strike for the Exarch. Basically, they subtract two from their attacks characteristic from a different model. So you can kind of um, 
it, it's it's good for basically nerfing a character a little bit. Um, Whirling Blades adds one to the attack characteristic of this unit. Units Howling Banshee's Exarch. Uh, if it's equipped with Mirror Swords, it adds two. Uh, decapitating Strikes. And the other thing with this, as I'm kind of going through this a little bit more fine-toothed, I think a lot of these, like, adding the, the extra attack, you could really do for the whole unit. There'd have to be a little bit of uh, right. testing, and that I'd have to kind of play it out to see how it, how it flows. Um, cause uh, like I said, right. But maybe you could tone it down like on the wound roll of a six or the hit roll of a six, you generate an, oh yeah. Attack. Give them like exploding sixes. If it turns out that the extra attacks are too strong. Right. Cause that's like, I'd much rather have, well, okay. The math works out so that if you have a lot of attacks, exploding sixes is better than a flat extra attack. Yeah. But if you're not changing their stat lines, howling banshees only have two attack space. So then that would certainly be uh, not quite as overly powerful as a uh, flat extra attack. With how expensive they are too, I think it's I think that um, I think it's justified. I think it's worth it. Uh, so two more for these. Oh yeah. Um, decapitating strike basically on uh, sixes, uh, you get a mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Uh, and then nerve shredding shriek, when this unit finishes a charge, you can select one enemy unit within one inch and on roll of d six. On a four plus, that enemy suffers D three mortal wounds. Nice. Yeah. All right. So it looks like a good slew of different abilities. Yeah. That would, and there don't seem to be any like obvious picks. Um, They're all very situational. Right. I would say maybe the five up shrug is definitely a clear standout to me of like one I would go to a lot just because it's so powerful. But you could make it so that like they have they can't like double up. They can't like uh, choose the same power more than twice in a row. And there's six of them, and now with uh, a lot of missions, really, a lot of the missions really have caps at like five or six turns. So you could have it, so you could pick one, you know, one time, and that kind of is is burned. Right. Awesome. Well, that's great. I would say, as far as points go, I would say based on this, I would keep Howling Banshees where they're at, which is 15 points a model. Agreed. And then uh, the Exarch is basically free. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So for the way I tackled this project, I wanted to like you, definitely have uh, all the Aspect Warriors play to their lore, but I really wanted to, from a game design perspective, make it as much as possible that it was pretty clear what the role of each of the Aspects was, uh, what their role in your army is, why you would take them in a list as opposed to some other Aspect or some other unit. Okay. Now, when I sat down to do this, I knew that I'd have to consider, like, what other like other aspects and combinations that go into this so like what stratagems you'd have in a uh, fan decks for craft world eldar would definitely change what abilities you give your aspect warriors so without having to come up with a whole nother like write the whole codex before i write the aspects i knew that i wanted a like combat doctrines style rule where if you your whole army is craft world eldar you get uh, a benefit for being so focused. And so that rule that I came up with is called perfect coordination. Uh, when I first learned about the Eldari, I loved the idea that they worked more so than any other army perfectly in concert with each other, that they, like their, uh, for lack of a better word, their teamwork was unbeatable. And so the way I tried to represent that is at the start of your command phase, you choose an enemy unit to be designated for destruction. And then all the models in your army, this is literally everything, add plus one to all their wound rolls against the target that is designated for destruction. And once that unit is destroyed, you can immediately pick another one. 
So if you're very careful and you can set things up so that way uh, units support each other and you don't overkill, you can be really efficient. But that takes coordinating your pieces, right? Yeah. So hopefully, um, if you're a good Eldar player, you'll be able to leverage this rule very well. Well, let's be real. Those don't exist. Right, right. Yeah, there's no such thing as a good Eldar player, right? Never seen one of those. Yeah. Um, and I, I would hope that it's, like, I don't think that it's wrong for certain armies to have a higher skill ceiling and a higher skill floor than others. No. I think, like, if you, like, that is the natural cost of making the armies interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. And unique. And the only universal Aspect Warrior change that we'll see is that all the Aspect Warrior data sheets would get a rule called Trapped in the Warrior Path. And that goes as long as an Aspect Warrior Exarch is the only model in a unit, it gains the character keyword. Mm. The reason why I included that rule is because, like, always the thing to do, for the most part, is if you're, the first wound your Aspect unit takes, you just put it on the Exarch. If it's a damage one weapon, because he's got two wounds, right? And I felt like that wasn't in keeping with the spirit of how the game is supposed to be played. So to motive, incentivize people to not do that, you get to keep your character... Uh, like, if you save... If you let all the other Aspect Warriors die and you're left with just the Exarch, you get the character keyword, and you might be able to hide them and keep them alive way longer than they would otherwise be allowed to be kept alive. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, and uh, before I forget, the perfect coordination rule, they're equivalent to combat doctrines. The way it would work is at the start of your opponent's turn, any units that are designated for destruction are no longer designated for destruction. So you only get this plus one to wound benefit in your turn. Okay. Not So like if you're fighting in the fight phase in your opponent's turn, that it doesn't count. You don't get it during Overwatch either. Yeah, so you really have to set up and execute on your strategy. Right. So this kind of plays into the, I think, like, one of the things that makes Warhammer 40k unique, where it's an I go, I do everything, and then you go and you do everything. Yeah. And, you know, a good 40k game feels like uh, at the start of your turn, you're under the gun. But at the end of the turn, you're feeling on top. And then you sort of, like, tension builds throughout your opponent's turn as they make their moves and put you in it on the back foot until you have this back and forth. So I feel like for an Eldar player, that could... Let's let's heighten that, right? Let's make the tension even greater for both players. If you're playing against the Eldar, you're, it feels like everything's going to hell in a handbasket during their turn, like as their turn progresses and they have this benefit. But during your turn, you're just wiping them out because they're very fragile and there's not a lot of them. So, um, and of course, for the Eldar player, they're, you know, sweating bullets because their models are dying left and right. Yeah. So those are the two universal changes for Howling Banshees. And for most of the Aspect Warriors, I gave them what it, whichever skill was more relevant to them. I improved their weapon skill or ballistic skill by one. So most, for most of them, that took them to a two-up. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, because I feel like these are Eldar, which are already like incredible savants compared to humans and they're dedicating every single day of their lives to honing these martial abilities they have a much longer lifespan and it, it makes sense that they would have these heightened senses and heightened like abilities if a guardian who's just a regular like non uh, like a, a civilian militia 
has weapon skill and ballistic skill three up than a true soldier who is um, like focused to do this should have at least for one of their skills be a two up. Yeah. Like if you look at conscripts in Imperial Guard versus regular guardsmen, conscripts have, you know, five up uh, weapon skill and ballistic skill, whereas regular guardsmen have four up. Mm -hmm. You know, they have plus one. So I don't feel like that's a credibly crazy change. And along with this, for most of the melee aspect warriors, I gave them an additional attack on their stat line. That's also reasonable. Right, because I feel like, again, a Howling Banshee having two attacks, the same as a Primaris Space Marine, uh, just base, it didn't feel right. Like, they're supposed to be really fast. If you're faster, you can strike more times than uh, somebody who's slower, right? Yeah, but a Primaris Space Marine is the peak of evolution. Let's be real, man. Well, of human evolution, (laughs) maybe, but not of evolution writ large. Uh, The Commissar says that humans are genetically superior. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> I see you've been <laughs> drinking in that imperial propaganda map. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for sure, I'm definitely a pro-Eldari bias. I've had this for as long as I've been in the hobby. My first army after Space Marines was Drukhari, and I've always admired the Eldar factions and thought they were cool. So oh, yeah. obviously, like, I'd say, like, as balances I tried to make this, especially with points... There's definitely bias here, like, not going to lie. And that's fine. That's I wouldn't fine. have quite the same bias if I was doing, say, um, works. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, okay, so another thing that I did is for all the shrine abilities, I, I love the, 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 the menu of six. I love that crunch. But whenever I tackle a topic, I try to streamline it if I feel like there's, like, if I'm not losing something of greater value. So I just made all the shrine abilities uh, choose one or the other. You get to choose two, but have each of them really specialize that unit even further and for each of them to be significantly powerful. So for Howling Banshees, you can choose to either have them be able to fall back in charge or advance in charge. Okay. And there's no way to have both. Um, I, maybe I could ad- introduce like a stratagem where you you could have, excuse me, one for, uh, you could have both for a turn or something, but uh, baseline, there's no way to for to have them equip the whole game with uh, both shrine abilities. Okay. And of course, um, we've seen that the community previewed that Banshee Power Swords are going to get plus one strength. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually not taking it further enough. I think their Power Swords kind of need to be damaged three, considering they're mostly going into attacking elite in enemy infantry units and these days most enemy elite infantry units are going to be marines with at least two wounds if not three and banshees you know they're not just swinging power swords like randomly they're aiming for like joints and trying to get a decapitation off you know they're they're trying to leverage every advantage they have they're very focused very thoughtful fighters all across the eldari Line. So I figured damage D3 isn't too outrageous for that. Yeah. Now, I also changed how Banshee masks work. So this would replace their ability. Um, instead of the whole no Overwatch thing, since Overwatch isn't as common anymore, um, what you can do is at the start of each phase, so that's shooting phase, fight phase, charge phase, all of those phases, you can choose at a single enemy unit within six inches 
and that unit cannot shoot for the duration of that phase. Okay. It's not bad. Similar effect, but uh, more modern. You can only choose one, but that one unit won't be shooting. So it's great if you're like, um, if you're like in combat with a Dreadnought. Dreadnought's got a lot of weapons um, that it can fire during combat. So you could, during the shooting phase, you can hit it with your Banshee Mask and it turn off its shooting. Yeah. And you can use it to stop Overwatch as well. You just have to begin the charge phase within six inches of the enemy, which, you know, you'll take, it'll take some generalship to make sure that you get that off. Yeah. Now, I think at this point, I've definitely improved Howling Banshee's unit overall, even though I, 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 they've, I've taken away, um, let's see, what abilities did I take away? I took away their acrobatic rule. So now their acrobatic is they either choose acrobatic or they choose something some other name powers would give them fall back and charge mm -hmm. and i also took away their washout uh ability okay subtract uh, uh no when resolving yeah so what that did is when resolving an attack move with a melee weapon against a howling banshee or against the unit if it contains a howling banshee exart subtract one from the hit roll i felt like their banshee mask is already doing one thing already with the so I kind of combined the roles of the Warshout and the Banshee Mask rules. So they they get to choose for a shooting phase and a charge phase one uh, single enemy unit that can't shoot. I like it. So what? How would you point this unit? Now keep in mind, uh, this is uh, the Exarch gets to be a character if it's the last model in the unit, like Last Man Standing. Now I don't I don't think that this is. Um... I don't think that they're massively, like, I'm not going to slap on, like, five points of model for these guys. I think, like, my gut says don't change them. I'd say add a point, maybe. Or maybe put a little bit extra tax on the X art. Because if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure they are the same points as a regular Banshee. Right. So for all of these, I made the X arc optional. And if you do take them, it is usually somewhere between a two to four point upgrade. In this case, and for most of the basic Aspect Warriors, if an Aspect Warrior could be described as basic, it's two extra points to upgrade to an to an Exarch. I, I I mean I would say maybe add five points onto the Exarch, but I wouldn't I wouldn't really change their points that much at all. I think that's for for what you're getting. I think uh, they're they're very glass cannon. They are very powerful, but there's still a good chance that half that unit's going to be dead no matter what before they even hit anything. Really? Even between the extra attack and weapon skill 2 up for the whole squad? Yeah, well, those are... Oh, and damage D3, don't forget those that. Those are great, but, I mean, you're still you're still uh, an Eldar who can die to a bolter. Right, you're still toughness 3 with a 4 up armor. Yeah, save. and I think that's one area that they really are kind of disserviced in, in that they, like I said, they're, they're glass cannons. They're going to be very powerful uh, if you can set them up to make the charge. Um, and I think it should be very rewarding to do so, but... At the same time, you know, if you kill a unit, it's harder to re to kind of keep things hidden in combat. But if you kill a unit, that you you know your your banshees are mm. dead the next turn. Right. So you're kind of you're kind of going all out. Hmm. Well, I was comparing them to like I was comparing them to say incubi, and I haven't heard anybody say that incubi are poorly priced right now. In fact, I've heard the opposite that I feel like most people say that they're a bargain at sixteen points. And when you compare howling banshees as I've created them to Incubi, they actually have a leg up on Incubi in most respects, but Incubi have only damage one weapons, and they're not weapon skill two. Otherwise, they have the same number of attacks, strength, and AP. 
Um, now, granted, Incubi have their power from pain uh, ability, but Howling Banshees have their shrine abilities, which you get to pick, and they also get to have a craft world trait. Incubi don't have access to a craft world or their Drukari obsession. There, they have that sort of like mercenary rule where they can be included in any detachment, but they don't uh, gain the detachment benefits for being like Coven of the Flesh. See, I hear that, but at the same time, at the same time, uh, you know, in a Dark Eldar list, you're not looking at Incubi as really your only major close combat threat. In the same way that uh, I don't, I feel like I feel like Banshees are kind of your you're one and done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're, you're probably not going to... Like, it's going to take some real skill and positioning to get a second charge out of those Howling Banshees. See, that's what I'm saying. I think they need... I do see that. I, I think they need to really be worth the while for, for setting them up for that charge. And I mean, you're still looking... You're looking at, for a unit of 10 of them with an Exarch, uh, you're still... You're looking at almost 200 points. Especially if you want to put them in any kind of transport it's going to be even more yeah okay so you i think you've sold me so 16 points on the individual girls and then uh plus two for the exr for the exr yeah i mean that that seems fair to me again we could pl- we could play this and i could be like wow those guys are are nuts for what they are i would love to play this at some point but i'd have to buy crap world elder <laughs> Uh, we could always proxy something up. Which I would love to do at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to have a follow-up uh, with, oh, here's how they actually played. Right. Six years from now? Yeah, once once the Rona's gone. Right. Well, I was thinking more like, if that's going to be how long it takes for me to collect and paint a full uh, Eldar army. See, here's the thing. Like, I love Eldar, but I'm telling you, the two of us, we could knock out an Eldar army in a weekend. In a weekend. That's true. We only need one Eldar army between us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Half of them will be painted a lot better than the other oh, half. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. The two of us, we can have a good-looking <laughs> army. We can make it work. Trust me. Anyway. I'll do the gems. <laughs> hey, yeah, I suck at those. All right. Okay, so what do you want to do next? Well, next on my list is uh, Swooping Hawks. Oh, okay, yeah. I had a hard time with these, so let's do that one. And actually, we're almost to time. Already? Ooh. Yeah, it's, we've been podcasting for 34 minutes. Oh, boy. Podcasting time really gets away from me. All right, but let's do Swooping Hawks. Uh, do you want to go first on these, or do you want me to go first? Sure. So I didn't change much about the Swooping Hawks. I didn't suggest any different, any model changes. Neither I didn't uh, suggest any model changes with the Howling Banshees. They have new models. I think they're great. And their shrine abilities that I gave them are either Deep Strike within three inches and auto hit with their ranged weapons on the turn they arrive, Oof. or move after shooting. They get to do a full... 14-inch move after shooting. Okay, so kind of like the old jump-shoot-jump. Yes, exactly. Because I don't think that's really... Because without like something a really strong power like that, I don't see the pur- purpose of Swooping Hawks. Yeah. If I'm being honest. I hear that. And I haven't heard a lot of other people rage about them either. Also, uh, they would keep their Sky Leap and Grenade Pack abilities. Okay. Yeah, that's solid. I mean, that's a good change. Uh, they'd also be uh Seal 2-up. Okay, yeah. I think that's solid. Now, for all that, I do think they are improving quite a bit. And so I pointed them at 19 points per model. And they're what, 17 originally? They are currently we they are currently 16 points per model. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's not too bad. I mean, that's 30 more points for a full squad of 10. Right. Which is not But that good. whole squad of 10 
gets to auto hit with their ranged weapons and deep strike within three inches of enemy units. So you can really like the idea with the aspect of swooping ox that I uh, took out is since they're apparently their, their, their lore aspect is supposed to be to inspire everybody else. But like, I don't feel like most people would take them a lot if their like main thing was like a leadership buff. I thought about that idea, but I think like people want them to have a more direct military role. Yeah, I hear that. So I made Swooping Hawks the uh, nothing can hide from you uh, unit. You if you can you can either choose to uh, or certainly a unit that you can you can either choose to have them be the unit you send to take out things that are hidden really well like um artillery or snipers and that's when you would pick the deep strike within three inches and auto hit with range weapons on the turn they arrive ability or you could pick the move shoot move ability and where your goal with them is to just bother and harass units but never really put themselves in danger Mm -hmm. and so it's going to be a little bit of firepower you can apply anywhere you need to over the course of the battle just to like take things over the edge and finish finish units off so that you can progress with your perfect coordination ability. Yeah. Basically, they hop down and say, hey, guys, check this out. They do backflips and shoot people in the head, and then they fly away <laughs> while calling. We're playing like Highway to the Danger yes. Zone or something. Oh, now I'm just going to imagine these guys as like Tom Cruise from Top Gun. <laughs> okay, so what <laughs> are some of the... Uh abilities that swooping hawks have in your uh revision okay so similar again they have a uh, list of six and as we kind of figured out earlier you'd be able to pick them each once so intercept while this unit contains a swooping heart hawk exarch basically you can reroll uh against a unit that flies uh suppressing fire uh when this unit swooping hawk exarch fires again this can apply to the whole unit uh overwatch an enemy unit is Subtract two from the charge rolls made for that unit until the end of phase. That's that's great. I like it. Evade, it's a five-up invul. That's handy. Uh, again, generic yeah. generic uh, defense ability. Uh, rapid Assault, if this unit made a charge move or was charged this turn, add two to the attack characteristics of the Swooping Hawk Exarch this turn. Uh, fast Shot, range weapons with this... Uh, range weapon this unit, Swooping Hawk Exarch, is equipped with have a type characteristic of Assault 6. Again, that, that could apply to the whole unit. Although, I'm not so sure about the, the one with additional attacks. Because I feel like that ability would be okay if it applied to the whole unit. But to just the Exarch, he only comes with two attacks base. And sure, you can give him a power sword, so he's now strength four, neg three, but he's still only damage one with four attacks. I don't know, it just doesn't seem worth it compared to like a five-up invuln for the whole squad. That's fair. That's fair. So, uh, but I could see like if you put it on the whole squad, now your whole swooping hawk unit gets plus two attacks on the charge, bringing it up to three. Then they could put a little bit of melee hurt on um, like a weak, squishy, like sniper unit. Like I would feel okay, um, especially after shooting, putting ten swooping hawks with an exarch with a power sword into a unit of uh, eliminators at the back line, yeah, or something it... like that, or even like a devastator squad. It makes for, like, a good turn four, turn five Hail Mary to kind of clear an objective. Right. But it, just the Exarch plus two attacks, that's not going to be enough difference. It's certainly not on the same par as uh, a five-up Invulnerable for the whole squad. Which, by the way, side rant, I just feel like Invulnerable 
saves should not represent dodging. They often do, like with they they do for uh, Drukhari witches, for gene stealers, for other aspect warriors, for bunch of other units but i feel like it, an invulnerable save should represent like a force field or something because you can't take an invulnerable save with an armor yeah. save but if you if a swooping hawk failed to meet its dodge its armor doesn't stop working i, I hear that right it would still be there i don't know just a side rant which is well, when we get to warp spiders you'll see how i worked their like phasing out ability into a like truer dodge mechanic that I will definitely be using in other publications or works since I'm not publishing anything <laughs> gotcha. uh, in the times in the time coming. So yeah, I would say it, without any other changes, I would just keep the your swooping hawks at 16 points yeah. model for sure. Oh, there's one one remaining, um, which is basically uh, swooping barrage. While this unit contains a swooping hawk exarch, add one to rolls made for this unit's swooping hawk grenade pack ability. Which is, is solid, yeah. Oh, I fun. like that. That's good for them. Yeah, the Swooping Hot Grenade Pack's really a really good uh, move. Yeah. All right, so that's about time, and I cannot wait to continue discussing these Aspect Warriors with you uh, in our next episode next week. So I guess we've managed to keep programming regular for another week, but um, ladies and gentlemen, I meant to include this at the beginning of the show, but... 40k Fandex is going to become an irregular podcast after we finish covering these Aspect Warriors in like the next two or three episodes because Matt and I just can't keep up with the weekly um, casts, even though they are short. Um, however, um, there will be a blog. The blog is Paul Paul B-O-T-E-L-H-O Botello dot Wixsite dot 40k Fandex dot com. And there you can check out. You can also find it on our Twitter or on our Instagram pages. And the the blog will be like a main deal coming forward and kind of supplement the fact that our podcast episodes will become irregular. Yeah. Um, but we will be posting more episodes in the future, just not every single week. Yeah. It's, um, it's a crazy time, guys. <laughs> yeah. It is a crazy time, and we're doing this for free, and, you know, if it's getting too stressful and it's a hobby, you're probably doing something wrong. Either yeah. that or you're just super anxious. I don't, I don't know about you. <laughs> or, or that you may have generalized anxiety, <laughs> you know, all jokes aside. Yeah. But, all right, so I hate to cut this short, but I will talk to you about Aspect Warriors later next week, man. Everybody stay healthy, and thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody.